The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Soon after healing the centurion's slave, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. The Gospel of the Lord. God be with us in the stories of our lives, past, present, and future. Amen. Today feels like a storytelling day with the three rich Bible stories we just heard. And I invite you to explore these stories and a couple more with me to see what God might be up to in them. Imagine the scene that we just heard in the gospel. Jesus and his disciples came to the town of Nain. Now, Jesus had been wandering around northern Judea, healing lepers and paralytics, exercising demons, saying quirky things about loving one's enemies, and choosing disciples to assist him in his ministry. I would guess that he was the most interesting thing that ever happened in Judea. And so, not surprisingly, he was being followed by a large crowd, people curious to see what he would do next, people seeking healing, people aching to be close to him and probably not knowing fully why. Jesus and this crowd must have been a bit of a spectacle as they entered the town of Nain. Enter stage left, another crowd, a slower procession, weeping, wailing. It is a widow. She has lost everything. The body of her only son, her only means of support, child of her womb, is being carried on a funeral bier. The community accompanies her. Everything knows, everyone knows that her situation is dire, compounded by grief. The two crowds meet at the city gates. Jesus bridges the gap between mourners and visitors. He reaches for the funeral bier, the body. Can you feel the tension here? 
He says to the widow, do not weep. Can you imagine a stranger having the gall to approach you in the darkest moment of your life and telling you to stop crying? The tension builds. And I wonder if someone in the funeral procession is about to step forward and remove this nomadic intruder. But then, Jesus does something truly bizarre. He speaks to the dead man. Young man, I say to you, rise. Now, as 21st century Christians, we recall other healing miracles. We remember Jesus calling his friend Lazarus out of the tomb. We know, to some extent anyway, who Jesus is. But the folks of Nain didn't know any of this. And when I try to see this moment through their eyes, I get incredibly uncomfortable for them. Jesus was on the cusp of bringing someone back to life out of compassion for an oppressed widow. And yet the tension is palpable. In our reading today from 1 Kings, we hear that the Lord sent Elijah to find a starving widow and ask her for a meal. Already I'm shifting in my seat. Elijah went, found the widow, and asked her to serve him a meal. She tells him she has only enough food left to make something for herself and her son before they curl up together and die of hunger. Elijah insists that she make him a cake from her last flour and her last oil. And he promises that if she does so, her flour and oil jars will never again be empty. And she acquiesces. The situation is thick with tension. From the widow's perspective, Elijah may just as well be a scam artist as a prophet sent from God to save her. It seems that this woman, who is holding on by a thread and about to let go, is being tested. And she gives in. Maybe because she knew she was at the end anyway. Maybe it was faith or hope or submission or surrender. We don't know. But she gives the last of what she has for herself and her son to a stranger who has asked her for it. God was saving her from starvation through Elijah. And yet the tension here is almost too uncomfortable to bear. Another story. In the epistle, we hear Paul trying to convince his audience that he is telling the truth about the revelations of Jesus that he is sharing with them. Yes, he was one of the most violent persecutors of Christianity not so long ago. But all that has changed. Really, it has. And by the way, he says, I don't even know any other Christians, really, except that I met Jesus' brother James once. I promise I am not lying, he says. I really do know all this stuff about Jesus because he came to me after his death, resurrection, and ascension. 
Paul is almost begging for people to believe him, to believe his message, to believe that he has been transformed from a killer to a preacher of Christianity. And again, this is a totally stressful moment in time. Jesus is trying to speak to his people through the most unlikely of messengers. And I am aware of great dis-ease, as I imagine the Galatians dubiously reading Paul's letter. Why is it that these blessings, healings, and miracles seem so fraught with tension? Two more stories. One. Last Sunday, a small group of us, four adults and four teenagers, went to church at Common Cathedral, an outdoor congregation of homeless people who meet on the Boston Common. The sermon that day was about healing, and the preacher passed around the microphone, inviting others to share their stories of healing. After a few people had shared... A woman off to the side asked for the microphone. She looked like she had lived 50 or 60 years of a very hard life. She was smoking a cigarette, and the smoke billowed around the microphone as she spoke in harsh bursts of anger. A good friend had framed her for murder, and she was so angry. Vulgarities and malice laced her testimony, and I glanced at the kids who were present, reminding myself that they were young adults and not small children. They could handle it. Still, my shoulders tightened, and I hoped she would finish soon. As she went on, I wondered if she would even mention healing or if she was simply taking an opportunity to vent her anger. And then she did mention healing in an offhanded kind of way. In almost the same tone of voice that she had voiced her anger, she ended by saying that she had found Common Cathedral and that the people here accepted her. So, she concluded, thank you very much. And she pushed the microphone back to the preacher with a slight smile on her don't-mess-with-me face. And I realized that I had just been witness to grace. God had brought loving community into the life of one of his own who had been navigating an impossible life. And while there was tension, the grace is what stayed with me. One last story. Three weeks before my sister and I both graduated from college, my beloved, vibrant, 79-year-old grandmother fell at a May Day breakfast and broke too many bones. After three weeks in the hospital, the giving of final bits of advice, Her request that one of us please go finish the jigsaw puzzle that she had passed on on her dining room table. And many tears on my part. She had become so impatient to die that she essentially told us that she would wait until both graduations were over. And then she was going to leave us. 
My grandmother had enjoyed a beautiful love affair with my grandfather, and he had been taken by cancer 20 years previous. She was impatient to get to him. On the night before my graduation, she told us that he was coming for her very soon in a silver mercury convertible (laughs) with a new blue nightgown for her. He was always buying her clothes. She almost died that night, and she apologized to my sister the next day because she had forgotten that my sister's graduation was the following day and not the same day as mine. Tension, sadness, a sense that she was too young to be taken from us, anticipation of what was next, and gratitude for this woman were too tightly wound up in each other to discern one from the other. On Monday, after all the graduation festivities had passed, I held the hand of her broken earthly body as she stepped into a silver mercury convertible and cruised into the arms of eternity. When God is doing something big, I have a feeling that tension is just part of the game. Maybe it's a way to get our attention. But I think more likely, it's just an inevitable companion to the change that is happening in the wake of God's transformative work. What would happen, I wonder, if when we found ourselves strained by the tensions of life and relationships and general survival, we stopped to watch and listen and discern what God might be up to in our midst? When life throws us off balance, perhaps the only way to regain equilibrium is by noticing and catching hold of whatever God is up to. Because in the collision of two crowds at the gates of Nain, Jesus brought a boy back to life and saved his mother from destitution. In the begging of food from a starving widow, God brought bounty to the hungry. In the words of an ex-persecutor of Christianity, billions of Christians over two millennium have found faith. In the testimony of an angry woman on the streets of Boston, contagious gratitude flowed forth. And in the struggle between life with her adoring family and life eternal with God and her beloved, my grandmother was swept into the arms of God with unbelievable grace. So I wonder, what is God up to in the tensions of my life today, in the tensions of your life today, in the tensions of our life as a community? And are we open to seeing and joining God in that sacred work? May we have the perseverance to pause in our tensions and see clearly the hand of God. Amen.